This is a Faith FM podcast. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Hello there and thanks for joining me again. I'm Robbie Bergen and you are listening to The Faith Experiment. This is the show where we explore faith. We're breaking down themes that are often complicated or a bit misunderstood. We're going to make it practical, so practical you can experiment with it in your own life. Well, I've mentioned over the last few episodes that I'm setting the context for this show by first taking a look at how my own personal experiment with faith began. I want to share with you that this is a very real and personal topic to me. Now, I'd love to hear from you today where you are listening to the faith experiment from. Let me know by texting me on 0488 or email me on robbie at faithfm.com.au or message me on our Faith FM Facebook page. Now, I've shared on the past few episodes the start of my story and how I was working as a software engineer, a computer programmer right there in Brisbane in the late 1990s. And how even though everything in my life was going very well, I had brand new cars, I built my first house by the time I was 21, I traveled the world, even though I had all that going for me and my future was looking good and very bright as I eyed the corporate ladder, there was still a splinter in my mind that disturbed my peace and it gave me a continual feeling that something was not right or something was missing with my life. Now, if you've missed any of the previous episodes and you want to catch up on some of the details, grab the Faith FM app from your app store or go to faithfm.com.au and look under the podcast section for the Faith Experiment. Now, in this episode, I've got a quiz for you to enter. And on next week's show, I'm going to randomly draw one of the correct answers from all the submissions and you will be named the winner of the first ever quiz on the Faith Experiment. And you also get a great prize as well. So here's how to enter. Text the code word QUIZ to 488 and the Faith FM quiz bot will reply to you with the question. Then just answer the question and you will go into the draw to win on next week's show. So take out your phone and text the code word QUIZ to 488 and follow the instructions. Well, this is episode four of the Faith Experiment, and I'm calling this episode Foreign Gods. One of the things that took center stage almost immediately as those towers fell was religion. As the United States began their invasion of Afghanistan and Iraq, it started to appear to me that this war on terror had all the hallmarks of being a religious war, a war of the gods. On one side of this war was the American God, the one who blessed America, the one who made America prosper. God bless America, land that I love, stand beside her and guide her through the night with the But on the other side of this war was the foreign God of Islam, Allah. And as a non-religious person, it was quite strange witnessing the development of this holy war on the nightly news. On the 31st of October 2001, Osama bin Laden gave a speech to the world from a cave somewhere in Afghanistan. <laughs>
In that address, Osama bin Laden said that God struck America in its heart and destroyed its biggest buildings. So we have to thank Allah for that. And then he also said, Now Allah blessed a group of Muslims and opened his doors before them so that they were able to destroy America. And I hope Allah will exalt them and welcome them into his heaven. Here was a picture being presented to the world that Allah, or God, had opened the way for America to be destroyed. But then on the other side of that war, the God of America was being invoked to provide protection and to deliver their enemy, the terrorist, into their hands. Thank you all. May God bless. May God continue to bless the United States of America. May God continue to bless America. And may God bless America. May God bless America. How can God both bless America and be the one who allowed the Islamic terrorists to bring the towers down? Two countries, two gods, and two very different ways of life. Who are these foreign gods? Now, as I've already shared on episode one, my faith experiment began in the shadows of the attacks of September 11, 2001. On the last episode, War on the Horizon, I left you with that scene where I was reading the book of Revelation. I came across that verse in chapter 1, verse 3, which says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. This passage was intriguing to me. The fact that this book claimed that there was some kind of maybe mystical or magical blessing connected to it. And as I shared with you, how as a problem solver, it's extremely important to be able to try and understand context. And it's important to expose yourself to as many different perspectives and dimensions of the problem and to immerse yourself in the broader sense of the context as possible. And so it seemed natural to explore this hearing side of this mystical book. Was there something that would stand out when you listen to the verses instead of reading it? And so, as I mentioned, I returned back to that book and Bible house, and there it was, the Bible as an audiobook on CD. And so, the voice of Alexander Scorby accompanied me on my drives in my car, on my walks in the park, during my evening meal at my dining table. I played the book of Revelation over and over and over again, trying to immerse myself in that scene-by-scene play of what seemed to be a mystical book. Now, I have to pause here for a moment. You see, at this point in my journey so far, I wouldn't describe myself as a Christian. I wouldn't even describe myself as a believer for that matter. You see, I valued the trait of healthy skepticism. If you question everything, you're in the best possible position to not fall into the trap of deception. Even to this day, I question everything. If I'm going to believe something, it has to stack up. It has to be dependable. Now, for me, this whole exercise up to this point was trying to gain some kind of competitive edge. You see, if there was information out there that could help me know what was happening in the world right now and was able to give me context to where things were heading, I wanted to know. And so, yes, I'd outlaid $20 for a Bible and $57 for the strongest strongs. And now I've outlaid more money for this audio Bible. But you see, for me, this was more of a quest to solve my curiosity. After all, there was that claim in that statement which suggested that the buildings collapsing in New York City were somehow connected to biblical prophecies. Definitely, 
Finding God wasn't my quest. Now, I was confronted with a question from my now ex-fiancé about wanting to be a Christian. But my response to her was not based on some deep-seated religious conviction. My response was more a show of defiance of being placed in such a position. And yet, there was still this splinter in my mind that continued to trouble me. Now, I already alluded to the fact that I was very ambitious to accomplish my life goals. That I set out during that assignment in my year nine English class. I wanted to own my first car at 17. I wanted to be earning $20,000 a year by the time I was 20 years old. I wanted to have a house by the time I was 21. I wanted to be married at 25, have two kids by 30, and retired at 35. Now, at the beginning of 2001, I had only three things left on my list to do. Get married, have two kids, and retire at 35, all of which I looked to be on track for. You see, I had the fiancé happening, the kids would naturally come, and I had a personal financial advisor who was guiding me on how to use my income to develop a portfolio of assets, including real estate and stocks. Now, assuming I stick to the plan and things continue on the same trajectory, I would be retiring at 35. My financial advisor assured me of this, and with a very healthy retirement nest egg at that, due mostly in part because of stocks I had in a very successful engineering and mining company that were performing exceptionally well in the late 1990s and into the new millennium. That was until the collapse of ANSET. There is, of course, some other news tonight, and we'll take a few moments for that in our continuing coverage of this disaster. Firstly, the future of ANSET is looking bleak. Qantas has decided it will not buy the troubled airline because ANSET's problems are simply too great. In Sydney and Melbourne, ANSET engineers and maintenance workers gathered for crisis talks amid rumours the airline could be grounded as early as this afternoon and staff would be locked out. I can't swear, but it's utter, utter disgust and disbelief. You see, this company that was giving me such amazing yields and hope for an early retirement was redeveloping the Sydney domestic terminal for... You guessed it, ANSET. Now, when ANSET collapsed, the share price of my golden egg investment collapsed along with it. And along with the impact of the stock market post-911, these losses were changing my financial future. We have to take a short break now, but when we come back, we will continue with this next stage of my post-911 story. And make sure you enter today's quiz, What Happened to Me in a Field? If you think you know the answer to that, text the code word QUIZ to 0488-45311 and follow the prompts. We'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 0488-45311. That's 0488-45311. Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au. My 
Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Listen live or listen later. Get the Faith FM app from your app store today. Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen and this is episode four of the Faith Experiment, which I'm calling Foreign Gods. Don't forget to enter into today's quiz. Text the code word QUIZ to 0488 45311 and the Faith FM quiz bot 
will reply to you with today's question and instructions on how to enter into the draw. And on next week's show, I'll be randomly drawing a correct answer from all of the submissions. So get your answer in today. Before the break, I shared with you how with the collapse of Ansett Australia and the faltering stock markets of post-911, my financial future began to disappear right before my eyes. It became very clear that I was not going to be retiring in a few years, and I didn't know it then, but this was just the first of many dominoes that were about to fall. In the months following September 11, as I already shared, I was immersing myself in this project or quest to discover if there was more to these events taking place in the world around me. And after learning of the connection between the book of Daniel and the Apocalypse, or the book of Revelation, I discovered this blessing of listening to the words of the prophecy. Now, this was great because it allowed me to listen while I was sitting in the office cutting code. Now, as I listened over and over and over again to this book Revelation, I began to pick up on a theme that this Jesus character makes some pretty bold statements. In fact, very bold statements. He makes claims like, I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He says he is the one who is and who was and who is to come. I mean, this Jesus character claims to transcend time. That's a huge claim. And then there were other claims like, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. So, not only does he claim to transcend time, but he transcends life and death. And then he says, I am the beginning of the creation of God. So let me get this straight. He transcends time, he transcends life and death, and then he is before every other created thing. These are very bold claims. Now, me with my analytical approach to problems, I started to sense red flags here. These claims had fundamental impact on everything. These claims suggested that this person of Jesus Christ has to be understood, at least in the context of the book Revelation, as an all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere present being or deity. I mean, how can you be the first and the last and then there's someone more powerful than you? How could he be dead and be alive forevermore? How could he be the source of all living things and not be the king of all living things and all deities. But with the backdrop of the nightly news and with this showdown with Allah, the God of Islam, and the God of the Americans, and how both of these distinctively different worldviews claimed that their God was the true God and it was their God who would ultimately give them victory, a very strange paradox began to trouble me. They're either the same God and one of these countries has got it wrong, or there are two gods who are diametrically opposed to one another. And this got me thinking. Here I am reading a Greek New Testament book called Revelation, which is held as a holy text to the Christian. How is it that my country, Australia, holds somewhat loosely, at least, to a Christian tradition? We're not that dissimilar to the Americans in our conception of God. Is the American God also the God of Australia? Does the God who responds to the motto, God bless America... Does he also respond to God bless Australia? Ask any Anglo-Saxon Australian which religion is the true religion and the answer will be Christianity. Isn't it somewhat convenient that I'm born here in Australia where we traditionally see ourselves as Christians 
who descend from the same tradition which we got from England? I mean, if I was born in Afghanistan, surely I would believe that the true religion is Islam, the true God was Allah. What if I was born in India, wouldn't I be a Hindu? What about Thailand, wouldn't I be a Buddhist? How is it that Christianity and the God of this book of Revelation is the true God and the true religion? I mean, isn't that just so convenient for me as an Australian? If I was born anywhere else in the world, would Christianity have any meaning to me? All of these religions make the claim that they are the true and right religion, and all others are somehow the false and they must be avoided. And so I reached a crucial point in my investigation. If I'm going to be honest and treat this process with due diligence, I must delve into these other worldviews and explore them. I need to contrast and compare and see what comes of it. Now, the dictionary defines a worldview as a framework of ideas and attitudes about the world, ourselves and life, and a comprehensive system of belief. And so I would start studying each of the major worldviews. To start with, I looked up what are the world's major worldviews, and I found, generally speaking, that there are seven worldviews. Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, the ancient Chinese, secularism or atheism, Judaism, and of course, Christianity. So how would I approach this task? I determined to look at each worldview and try and discover what their core beliefs were and hopefully allow the data to speak to me. And so I started looking at Hinduism. I found that Hinduism is one of the oldest religions on the earth. It was the third largest religion with around one billion followers. And the system of belief which we call Hinduism was developed around 1000 BC in the northern parts of India. It's a diverse system of thought with beliefs spanning from monotheism or a belief in a single god to polytheism, which is a belief in many gods. It also has elements of pantheism, which is God is in everything. And there's even the concept of atheism, which is there's no God at all. Its concepts of God is very complex and depends upon each of the particular traditions and philosophies. Now, behind the many gods of Hinduism stands one reality or universal soul called Brahman, which is ultimately an impersonal force. This reality develops further into three main gods of Brahma, which is the creator, Vishnu, which is the preserver, and Shiva, which is the destroyer. And from these three main gods develops a system of more than 330 million gods. Hinduism is a very mystical religion, leading its followers to try and obtain an experience of truth that is within and finally reaching some pinnacle of consciousness where man and God are one. Now, depending on which books you read or which teachers you listen to, there are either seven or nine core beliefs in Hinduism. But these are essentially all built around three core ideas, which shape the view of the world and act as guides through life. The three pillars are karma, samsara, and maksha. Now, karma is the law of cause and effect, by which each individual creates his own destiny by his thoughts and words and deeds. While samsara is the belief that the soul reincarnates, evolving through many births until all karmas have been resolved and liberation from the cycle of rebirth is obtained. And finally, maksha is the liberation or the freeing of the soul from the endless cycles of reincarnation. And this can only be achieved once all bad karma is resolved. So being the problem solver that I am, I boiled down this to a summary, which looks something like, 
The Hindu worldview teaches one, there's a difference between good and evil, and two, everyone faces a judgment at some point, where they have to face their actions, good or bad, and pay the price or receive the reward for them, and three. There is a deliverance or a type of salvation for the soul, which puts an end to the consequences of bad actions, and this is the goal for everyone. Well, it's time to take a short break now. But when we come back, we will continue with my exploration of the major worldviews as I try to understand how two different gods were being called upon to defeat each other's enemies. And make sure you enter today's quiz. What happened to me in a field? If you think you know the answer to that question, text the code word "quiz" to o four triple eight four five three double one and follow the prompts. We'll be right back after this with the faith experiment. The faith experiment is made possible because of people like you. If you enjoy what we are doing, please consider supporting us by making a donation on our website at faithfm.com.au/donate. Oh 
listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen, and this is episode four of The Faith Experiment, which I'm calling Foreign Gods. Now, just a reminder, I've got a quiz for you to enter today, and on next week's show, I'm going to randomly draw one of the correct answers from all the submissions, and you'll be named the winner of the first ever quiz on The Faith Experiment. And you will also get a great prize, so that's a bonus as well. So here's how you enter. Text the code word QUIZ to 0488-45311, and our Faith FM quiz bot will reply to you with instructions. So take out your phone and text the code word QUIZ to 0488-45311 and follow the instructions. Now, before the break, I shared with you how with the collapse of Ansett Australia and the faltering stock markets of 911, My financial future began to disappear right before my eyes. But as this was happening, I began to see that the world was being polarized into two worldviews, that of Islam and that of American Christianity. Both gods were being invoked as the force that would bring ultimate victory. The God who blesses America would defeat the terrorist and Allah, the God of Islam, would provide a victory against the infidels. And with this new reality, I started thinking, who's right? I mean... I feel like I'm being somehow led one clue at a time to something, but up until this point, I found myself exploring a Hebrew book and a Greek book, which was a part of the Bible, which is seen as the holy text for the Christian worldview. And like I said before the break, if I was born anywhere else in the world, I would have been brought up with a completely different worldview. I could have been Islamic or Hindu or Buddhist, but here I was in Australia, a country with a Christian tradition. So I wanted to be sure that I wasn't just being closed-minded or sheltered on this whole project to discover the meaning and context of these world events. After all, as a problem solver, you're always looking for more data to help paint a bigger picture, to help fill in gaps of understanding, and to help ensure a bias of thinking is avoided. And so I started to look at the seven major worldviews. Before the break, I shared with you a summary of my findings as I looked at the Hindu worldview. I found, to put it overly simplistic, that Hindus see that, one, there is a difference between good and bad, and two, everyone faces a judgment of which we all have to face our actions, whether they're good or bad, and pay a price or receive a reward for what we've done one way or the other. And third, there's a deliverance for the soul or a salvation, which puts an end to the consequences of bad actions and this is the goal for everyone. Moving on from Hinduism, I began to explore the worldview of Buddhism. Buddhism, like Hinduism, was born in India about 500 years later, in the year 547 BC. Its origin came as a reaction against the frustrations and the failures of Hinduism in obtaining Maksha. And due to the infinite number of gods Hinduism had created. Buddhism was founded by Siddhartha Gautama, who later became known as Buddha. At the time of Buddha's birth, many intellectuals and spiritual seekers were challenging the supremacy of the Vedic teachings of Hinduism, which had dominated India for hundreds of years. The religion sprang up in northeast India amid a society in turmoil and ripe for change. Buddha was born into an aristocratic family, but became dissatisfied with his life of privilege, which had insulated him from the sufferings around him. 
At the age of 30, he left his palace and began a journey for spiritual enlightenment. After many episodes in his journey, which have become a vital part of the lore of Buddhism, he's said to have become the enlightened one, or the Buddha, and is said to have found a way of escape of the endless rounds of reincarnation, which Hinduism taught. It's easy to see why Buddhism was such an attractive alternative to a very complicated working Hindu theology. Buddhism stressed simplicity in thought and in life and provided a very easy to understand four truths about human existence and an eightfold ethical path. These central teachings of Buddhism, the Four Noble Truths, are summarized as one, life is miserable and unhappy. And two, the source of misery is ignorance and worldly attachment. And third, this predicament can and must be overcome. And fourth, the way to overcome is through following the eightfold ethical path, which is you have to have the right view, the right attitude, the right speech, the right action, the right livelihood, the right effort, the right mindfulness, and the right concentration. And so just like I had done with Hinduism, I did the same thing here with Buddhism. I summarized their worldview. And what I came up with was that there is essentially a difference between good and bad. The world as we know it is bad and the condition of life is naturally unhappy. And there is wrong in each one of us or a defect in each one of us that must be overcome. Everyone again faces some kind of judgment based on their life's conduct. And the way to overcome or escape this endless cycle of reincarnation is to strictly follow the eightfold path to enlightenment. The next worldview I came across was that of the ancient Chinese, one of the world's oldest recorded religions, if not the oldest recorded religion. This was the official orthodox faith system which was held by most dynasties of China, from at least the Shang dynasty, which is about 3000 BC until the overthrow of the last dynasty in 1911. This system of faith centered on the worship of Shangdi, the supreme god, or heaven, as an all-powerful force. This religion predates the development of Confucianism, Taoism, and the introduction of Buddhism and Christianity. This worldview has the features of monotheism, a single god or deity, called heaven or Shangdi. And Shangdi is seen as an all-powerful entity endowed with a personality but no real form. From the writings of Confucius, we find that Confucius himself believed that Shangdi had a number of attributes, like he could not be deceived, or he guides people's lives, he maintains a personal relationship with his creation. He also taught that Shangdi gives tasks for people to fulfill and teaches people righteousness. The largest religious site on earth today is the Altar of Heaven Complex, which is in Beijing. This was where the emperor went to worship the heavenly god. And it reveals something very striking in terms of ancient deity worship. You see, in the whole complex, there's not a single image or idol of this Shangdi. The only thing you find are four Chinese characters which read, The Supreme Ruler of Heaven. And over 2,300 years ago, the great poet Qu Yen asked in his book titled, asking questions of heaven, he asked 172 questions which he put to Shangdi or to God. These questions concern aspects of astronomy and geography and literature and philosophy and various other fields. Now, again, when I summarized my findings of this ancient worldview, I found that 
the ancient Chinese believe that humans came from Shangdi, who is the creator deity. This god is seen as eternal, loving, and a merciful father. They taught that God can be communicated with, and one day mankind sinned, and as a result, there was a separation from this Shangdi. As a result of this sin, there was a great flood, and everyone faces a judgment as a result of their sin. And righteousness is only possible when a lamb covers the individual. I started to see a pattern emerging with these worldviews so far. Despite their differences, there were a number of similarities. And so I next explored the Islamic worldview, and what I found was that from a little-known religion that was primarily practiced in the Middle East, Islam had risen to a dominant economic, political, and religious presence in the world today. While most people viewed Muslims as radicals or terrorists in the light of 911, I was shocked to find out that they actually came from the same patriarch of Abraham, which is the father of the Hebrew and the Jew. Whereas the Hebrews came through the bloodline of Isaac, the Muslims came through the bloodline of Ishmael. There are about 1.3 billion Muslims in the world today, with Indonesia being the largest Muslim nation in the world. The founder of Islam was Muhammad, who was born into a well-respected clan of Mecca, which is in Saudi Arabia today. But he was orphaned at an early age with no rights and no money. He was protected by his grandfather and uncle, and worked in the caravan trade. He married a rich widow and began to rise to prominence. At the age of forty, he had his first series of revelations, which are believed to have been dictated to him. And based on these revelations, he began to attack the prevailing polytheism and the immorality of his day. Islam was spread by both peaceful and military means. It began to spread in the Arabian Peninsula first as tribal raids and then as armies. At this time, the countries around Arabia were weak and became ripe soil for the spreading wave of the Islamic influence. Islam, like Hinduism and Buddhism, teach that human beings in this present world are in a lost or somehow inferior state and need to rise up and obtain higher ideals. Some of their core beliefs are: there is only one God, Allah, and Allah has given a divine text to follow. There's a judgment at the end of life. There'll be a resurrection for the dead. Allah can be communicated with. There should be a change in one's lifestyle. There shouldn't be gambling. There shouldn't be the drinking of alcohol. There shouldn't be the consumption of pork. They also believe that there is a battle between good and evil, and that people ought to be generous to others who are in need. And so, for the Islamic worldview, I formed a summary that looks something like: Islam teaches that. The world as we know it is in a bad condition, and mankind, without internal and external changes, is in an evil condition. And that there is something wrong in the world, and it must be overcome. Everyone faces a judgment, and the only way to escape the evil within is we must embrace Allah or God and change our characters and our lives. Again, I was seeing a pattern emerging, but I continued my quest, and so next. I looked at Judaism. Judaism is the original of the three Abrahamic faiths, and these faiths also include Christianity and Islam. 
I found there was about 13 million Jewish people in the world, and Judaism originated in the Middle East, with the heritage being based on the teachings of Moses, although the Jews trace their history back to Abraham. Jews believe that there is only one God with whom they have a covenant. In exchange for all the good that God has done for the Jewish people, the Jewish people keep God's holy law and try to bring holiness into every aspect of their lives. Judaism has a rich history of religious texts, but the central and most important religious document is the Torah. Their core beliefs are that Elohim, or God, is the creator of everything. He can be communicated with. Elohim has given a divine text. There's a judgment for everyone. And there is a law for what is right and what is wrong. And enshrined in Elohim's law is a constitutional weekly rest called the Sabbath. And although the result of sin is death, there will be a resurrection for the dead at the end of days. And so, summarizing, be it simplistic, the Jewish worldview is, is that the world, as we know it, is in a fallen condition due to sin. There's a set of moral codes by which all believers should be governed, and that mankind, without internal and external change, will remain in a fallen and sinful condition, and everyone must face a judgment. Well, it's time again to take a short break now, but when we come back, we'll continue with my exploration of the major worldviews and how it related to my own personal experiment with faith. Make sure you enter today's quiz, What Happened to Me in a Field. If you think you know the answer, text the code word QUIZ to 0488845311 and follow the prompts. We'll be right back after this with The Faith Experiment. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Faith Experiment, please help us get the word out by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. Marvelous, wonderful, infinite God Author of all that is good Faithful provider and giver of life Source of all power and love Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise Refuge of strength to the end Righteous Redeemer and mighty to save easy Merciful God, radiant, holy delight, beautiful Father, victorious Son, source of unchangeable light. Oh, 
constant and wavering God, shepherd who comes for the lost, rock of salvation, remarkable love, Savior who died on the cross. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Listen live or listen later. Get the Faith FM app from your app store today. Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. I'm your host, Robbie Bergen, and this is episode four, which I'm calling Foreign Gods. Before the break, I shared with you how in the aftermath of September 11, 2001, we started to see the emergence of what looked more like a religious holy war than a war on terror. Each night on the news we saw these clips of Islamic teachers and preachers saying things like Allah or God will deliver the Americans into our hands. And on the same episode of the news we would see other images of American generals and politicians saying things like God bless America and with the help of Almighty God will prevail against our enemy. And as I shared, this caused me to evaluate my journey so far in exploring these religious texts which came from the Hebrew and Christian tradition. It made me think that If I was born anywhere else in the world, I would have been more likely to pick up a Quran or a Hindu text or a Buddhist text. And so, I thought I needed to consider all the avenues here. Since this journey is leading me to religious texts in the form of these books of Daniel and Revelation, I should explore what these other worldviews believe as well. And so, I studied the basic tenets of the seven major worldviews. As I finish with the Hindus and the Buddhists and the Muslims and the ancient Chinese and the Jews, I moved my attention to Christianity. Now, Christianity began as a Jewish sect and is classified as one of the Abrianic religions originating in the eastern Mediterranean. It grew quickly in size and influence over a few decades, and by the 4th century it had become one of the world's dominant religions. Though there are many important differences of interpretation and opinions of the Bible on which Christianity is based, I found that Christians share a set of beliefs that they hold as essential to their faith. Things like God is the creator. God has given a divine text, the Holy Bible. God can be communicated with in prayer. And that there is a great cosmic battle between good and evil. And as a result, we live in a world which is affected by the fall and is tarnished with selfishness or sin. And there is a standard of what is right and wrong, known as the law or the commandments of God. And everyone has sinned and is therefore subject to death, and everyone will face a judgment. There is a resurrection for the dead, and there is hope of deliverance or salvation from our condition, which is offered through the sacrifice of 
Jesus Christ. And this good news or gospel has the power to transform lives now. Now again, I tried to distill all this down to just a few key points. This is what I arrived with. One, Christians believe that the world as we know it is in a fallen condition due to sin. Two, there is a moral set of codes by which all behavior is to be governed by. And three, mankind without an internal and external change will remain in their selfish and sinful condition. And lastly, everyone will face a judgment. And then I turn my attention to the last of the major worldviews to explore. Secularism or atheism. Now, although not a religion in the sense of worshipping of deities, secularists and atheists do provide their followers, or should I say subscribers, with a worldview. Secularism is defined as a state of being separate from religion and is based on foundation that scientific truth is absolute for everybody, while religious truth is relative to the individual. I found from my research that as a new paradigm began to emerge in the early 1900s in regards to truth, it began to be accepted that absolute truth could only be obtained by scientific method. For example, water always boiled at 100 degrees Celsius at sea level. And that was an absolute fact. If you questioned that fact, you'd be considered irrational and a heretic. But as far as religion thought, there was no more heretics because all facts about God had been regulated to an internal feeling of the individual. In science, truth was objective and absolute, while in religion, truth was subjective and relative. Back in 2001, atheists comprised around 2% of the world's population. Or secularists made up about 16% of the population. Now, as you can imagine, defining a secularist or an atheist core beliefs is pretty much impossible because under these two labels, you will find a very wide variation of thought. But most commentators and social scientists agree that there are some core ideas or beliefs that loosely hold the community together. Ideas like we should all be skeptical of everything until it can be proven. There should be a clear separation of church and state or religion and politics. We should value humility and authenticity. There must be world peace if we're ever to evolve as a species. We need to do what we can to help remove poverty and this is best done by self-improvement through education. Generally speaking, secularism or atheism holds to the conviction that everyone has basic human rights and there should be justice for all, and the end game is to bring out the good in humanity. So, although secularism is without any real belief in a god and religion, there are still strong core beliefs like any other worldview. And so I summarized it this way. One, they believe that the moral condition of the world right now is bad, hence the need for laws and equality. And two, people need to have a change of character through education for society to function correctly. And three, there is in the world a sense of wrong and right. Some might call it morality. And four, there is a core belief in justice, which requires judgment and vindication. And lastly, everyone deserves happiness, peace, joy and love. Now, as I went through this process, looking at the largest and most common worldviews, I saw that many, if not all, 
of these worldviews share a number of similarities. Some of these being that they all see that there is a difference between right and wrong. They all see that humanity today lives in a morally imperfect world. They all see that humanity today has many imperfections. And they all see that humanity must have these imperfections removed if there is to be any hope. They all see that the only way humanity can have these imperfections removed is through character change. They also see that humanity's actions and character is at the central issue when brought into a judgment, whether it be before a judge or a deity. And lastly, they all see that human beings need to be changed into better people if there's to be any hope for our world. Now, as I looked at this list of summaries, it was interesting to note that all these worldviews recognized that the world we live in right now is imperfect. Although most of these views do not attempt to explain how these imperfections came into existence, they do attempt to explain how to rectify them. It would seem, therefore, that people, no matter what their worldview is, realize they need to improve or change, and that the world is naturally, in its current condition, not the answer. It also seems that the world itself needs to be changed in order to fix the problem. Next time on The Faith Experiment, I will continue to take you on my journey through my own personal faith experiment as it developed in the shadows of 911. Well, now it's time for this week's inbox. This is where I browse through the inbox and share your comments, feedback, and questions. I have an email here from Christine who says, I want to applaud you, Robbie, for taking the initiative to tell your story. It's compelling and you have a great storytelling method. Thank you very much, Christine. I'm glad you're enjoying the story so far. And I have a text from Miller who says, the show is great. Keep it up. Thank you very much, Miller. I appreciate the feedback. And then I have an email from Bill who says, great show. Very interesting. Thanks again, Bill. Well, thank you everyone for your feedback. I really do appreciate it. Here's today's thought question. Have you ever explored another worldview? If so, which one? I'd love to hear from you. So text me your comments on 04888 or email me at Robbie at faithfm.com.au. I'll catch you next week at the same time right here on Faith FM for the next episode of The Faith Experiment. I'll see you then. You have been listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 0488 453 or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au and let us know what you thought of this episode.